Hello. Yo. How are you? <laughs> Yay. Hello, hello. This is Robin Zander from Cheap Trick, and you're listening to Cheap Talk. It's time for some Cheap Talk. You're listening to Trick Chat. Welcome back to Cheap Talk, your unofficial Cheap Trick podcast. I'm Ken Mills, and as usual, I'm joined by the ever-effervescent Brian Cramp. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Hello there, ladies and gents. We are back to talk about one of Cheap Trick's best albums. Wouldn't you agree, Brian? It's definitely in the top ten. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> And today we are joined by Philip Schaus, who is a fantastic musician. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you, guys. Uh, can I be effervescent, too? I don't think you have a choice. Okay, good. I have the patent <laughs> on it. But... <laughs> well, that's very nice. Phil Schaus is currently a member of the band Accept. He has been a member of the Gene Simmons Band, the Ace Fraley Band. Uh, you're kind of one of those go-to live guys that people pick. You know, if, if it were a Netflix documentary, you're a hired gun. I would I, I definitely fit that description. So, uh, yeah, I've been lucky. had a good year. And nobody nobody's found out that I can't really play yet, so that's good. We'll just keep that secret to ourselves. Absolutely. Now, <laughs> you are also part of a few bands that we can mention. There's the Rock and Roll Residency, yep. which if you're from Nashville, which Phil is now calls Nashville his home, it is such a great thing. And people, bands and rock stars play with you guys all the time like for example i know that dax nielsen and robin zander played with you guys right dax and robin came down a couple weeks in a row yeah um that was fun so that's very uh pertains to, to the conversation but we've had the guys from deep purple alice cooper came down gene came down one time and joan lizzie from hellstorm skid row guys guys kip winger it's too long of a list to name here we all fall asleep but yeah, we've had, it's been a great time. Um, excuse me, Phil. You uh, you uh, didn't say the full name. It's Gene Simmons of the rock group Kiss. <laughs> Gene Simmons of Kiss. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Craig Gas. Yeah, exactly. So, for those who don't know, you are a huge Cheap Trick fan. Yeah, uh, actually, one of the many tribute things that Jeremy and I have done over the over the past, you know, fifteen twenty years we know each other was we did a few gigs as the Rockford Files, um, which is a cheap trick tribute where I did Robin and Jeremy does a really great Rick Nielsen, um, and so we uh, along with Mike Vargo and Keith Brogdon we did a handful of gigs, costume and everything, you know. Please tell me there's video of this. Uh, somewhere I don't, uh, gotta be, you'd have, I'd have to do some scrolling on Facebook. It's been many years now, but, uh, the, the, the name was great. The Rockford files. And we spelled it P H I L E like audio file. Oh, wow. And, <laughs> I love uh, it. Yeah, yeah. We only did a handful of shows, but uh, they were really fun. Wow. Gotta try to find that. There's video somewhere. I'm sure. 
Excellent. As we mentioned, you are part of the Rock and Roll Residency, and we had Ryan Spencer Cook and Jeremy Asbrock do the other two first Cheap Trick albums. Because when we were in Nashville last August, I asked you guys to come on and each one of you to talk about one of the first three Cheap Trick albums. So here we are. Mm -hmm. That's great. This is my favorite one, too, so I'm glad I'm getting to do this one. Can I get an idea of what your Cheap Trick fandom means and what did you first think about Cheap Trick and how do you feel about them now? They were one of those bands that that you that before I was into them that you read about every musician that you that you read an interview of mentions them. Um, pretty much they were always like, Oh yeah, with Cheap Trick, and I kind of like just they kind of skirted around them for some reason. And I think I was finally in high school when I really dug in. And I really forgot. I probably, I guess it was probably Budokan was the first one. That's the easy kind of gateway drug in the G trick world. And um, it hit me how, how kind of Beatles they were. It was like an updated 70s Beatles. Uh, the songs were fantastic. You had the greatest singer in the world, pretty much. And this image that was it was just like this quirky thing that did fit the band and then didn't fit the band. It was just like all these different things, all these cool things wrapped into one. And, uh, I liked all their peers, uh, you know, of the era, mid late seventies and everything. And they kind of fell right in and they were always, we Kim, you and I talked about this on our last interview a couple of days ago. They were always so different. Like they had this complete like zany quirkiness about them because of Rick uh, but then like they had this dark element too. And I think those things kind of like, kind of, you know, conf not conflict, but conflict and both blend to make a really, really, really cool band. And I started getting into the studio records. And then I think, uh, in color was a favorite for a while and which I still love that one, but heaven tonight, I think is still kind of my overall number one. Mm-hmm. And that quirkiness and the juxtaposition of, like, for example, the Juxtap really... Juxtaposition, thank you. Fantastic word. That's a big word, like gymnasium. Like gymnasium, yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you had the cool-looking guys and then the weirdo-looking guys, right? And they totally, did, they totally flaunted it, which was great. They knew what they were. They knew whose role was what. And they put Tom and Robin on the front. It was just great. Like on uh, in color, they're on motorcycles, and then Bunny and Rick are on scooters on the back. You know, it's, it's hilarious. And as weird as this sounds, when I was growing up in high school, this to me like typified high school because I was in the art room, so I'm I'm an art geek, and mm -hmm. I would hang out with the burnouts. I would also hang out with the jocks. So somewhere I was on the back cover. Brian and I would probably be on the back cover, and you would probably be on the front, right, Brian? <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. In, in high school, I'd be on the back cover with you guys. So, yeah, I was a back cover cheap trick guy. So, <laughs> folks, let us know: Are you a front cover person or a back yeah. cover person? <laughs> oh, you know, you know those stupid things now that are on the filters, like which Disney character are you? Which Beatles yeah. character? Big spinning is like which cheap trick side of the cover are you? <laughs> the new one. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, it's hard to believe that anyone might be listening 
is not going to know these facts that we're going to run through, but uh, we're going to check the font of all knowledge, which is, of course, Wikipedia. But these are where I'm getting my notes. If you're just learning that these are the facts about heaven tonight, then I can't imagine listening to this show, but we'll see. Heaven Tonight was released in April of 1978. It is Cheap Trick's third solo album produced by the great Tom Werman and released in 1978. Just a fantastic classic album. And it's got the dark elements that we love about Cheap Trick and the incredibly light elements that we love about Cheap Trick. Uh, It's got the cover of the moves California Man. And of course, Surrender is found here for the first time on vinyl. And Heaven Tonight is also known as the first album ever recorded with a 12-string bass, which adds so much to the sound of Cheap Trick. The album is 43 minutes and 42 seconds long, and I'm sure that we will conversation will last longer than the actual album. So. <laughs> of course. We are podcasters. We run our mouths. So anyway, here we go. So we're going to kick it off with what is one of my favorite Cheap Trick songs. I never get tired of this song. It's Cheap Trick Surrender. the things i love about it is that it uh does not really have a, a rhyme when you think about it phil what are your thoughts on surrender i'm with you uh on that i still love it and the, the fact that it's it is played so much because it's so damn great it's just a fantastic song and i like how it changes keys immediately in the song like it, start, it starts in one key when the vocal comes in it changes it moves up a half step then at the end, it goes up another half step. And those aren't typical key changes. You know, and it was always, they could, Rick, and uh, the Rick is words, I'm looking at words and music, but Rick Nielsen for this tune, like most of them. He was so good at doing that. Like, this shouldn't make any sense. But it made great sense in the song. And uh, yeah, the lyrics are great. The chorus is fantastic. You can't write a better chorus than that. It's so unifying when everybody's singing it live at the, at the show or, you know, if a cover band's playing it, everybody's singing that song. It's definitely earned its place in rock and roll. If I were sitting down with, with the two of you and we were going to write a new song and you came to me with these lyrics that did not rhyme, I would say, are you out of your tree? That's It's, it's throwing all the rules out. Mm-hmm. And it's done so masterfully because you don't even realize that these words are not rhyming. Right. You have no idea. And then mention he, he mentions wax from World War II. It's like, what? What kind of rock song talks about wax from, <laughs> from World War II? But it's great. It's so, uh, and mentions Kiss in there and everything. It's, it's, it's done. Everything he did, he, like you said, he threw the rule book out and just did what he wanted to and could make it work and make it work on rock radio, which is even harder. Mm-hmm. Now, have you ever heard the original lyrics to this? Actually, I have. I don't think I have. Brian, off the top of your head, can you uh, cite them for us? Uh, it's old maids, dykes, and whores instead of old old maids for the war. Oh wow! 
and it's not it's a bonus track on the 19 that if it came out in 98 or whenever those re they reissued the the first three albums mm-hmm. um, oh, okay it, uh, there's a version on there a bonus track You know, could you imagine that being released <laughs> and being a hit? <laughs> I don't think I knew about that. Wow. <laughs> you know, that's that's almost right up there with like Lou Reed's Walk on the Wild Side, you know. She never lost her head even when she was given head. It would have been one of those naughty songs that we all oh, did you hear that? You know Did you hear that? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing about Surrender is it never was a hit. It's one of those songs that's in the history of rock and roll, there's a bunch of songs like this where you you would look back and you would think that that was you would just assume it was a big hit song, but it was never a charting you know hit single. It's just one of those kind of enduring songs that has, you know, people have kind of caught on to it over the years, and now it's become a classic. But you know, in its day, it wasn't even a hit. You know, mm-hmm. probably got probably got most of its popularity after Budokan came out. I would think. Yeah. Right. Wasn't yeah. it also used in Over the Top, Brian? The movie? The the Stallone movie? The, the arm wrestling no, movie? No, 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 no. Oh, sorry, Over the Top. What's the... <laughs> oh, man, I messed up. The one with Matt Dillon. Oh, um, is it in Over the Edge? Yeah, yeah, yeah Over the Edge. Wow, boy, talk about a... Uh, there. <laughs> over the Edge, not the arm wrestling movie. So, Over the Edge <laughs> with Matt Dillon. Which was uh, not the greatest movie of all time, but it did have like four cheap trick songs in it. That was pretty cool. There's something that is full of anarchy about this song. And, you know, we're supposed to identify with the kid, but we wind up identifying with the parents that are having a better time than the kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and uh, there was uh, at Rick's Picks. Do you know what Rick's Picks was, Phil? Yeah. Rick's Picks was like a museum exhibit. Oh, about... yeah, in Rockford. I never got to go to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I went to it, and it took a ton of pictures, and there were all these handwritten lyrics. They had all these drawers that you could pull out, and, you know, they were, like, covered in plexiglass, but they just had all these handwritten lyrics that Rick had saved over the years. Oh, wow. And I took tons of pictures of everything, and uh, I was looking through all my pictures, and I found this these surrender lyrics where something was crossed out and then kiss was written because it didn't originally say got my kiss records out and you could see it sure looks like it said queen it sure looks like the lyric was got my queen records out and then he crossed that out and wrote kiss it's pretty cool that is pretty cool yeah it's amazing it really is the ultimate name check right yeah yeah and, it, you know, Queen makes sense because they opened for Queen. They did a couple shows with Queen in January. But actually, that was after he wrote the song. Because, you know, this song goes all the way back to 76. And uh, 
I was told by a certain source named Brad Carlson that they were opening their set with Surrender in the summer of 76 when they went out to the East Coast. And they did. They played they played some shows in, in New York State, like four shows. They were in Rochester and Buffalo and Niagara Falls, like right at the time when that he was saying that, that they went to the East Coast and they were opening their set with Surrender. Yep, it's and, co- um, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the album credits right now, and it says copyright '76 for the song. So yeah, it's it's older than the record. Yeah, yeah, and the uh, I have this zine from Michigan because right before they went out to New York, the, the the I think it's like August 2nd '76. They played in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and I have this zine where that came out in early '77, I think, where there there's a little interview in there, an article about Cheap Trick, and the person that wrote the article mentions two songs from their show, "He's a Whore" and "Surrender." Those are the like the two songs that stood out to the. So you know they had this song fully formed and you know pl- opening their set with it in '76, like it was ready for the first record. So first record, wow! I didn't know that. Yeah, it's crazy. Yep. Amazing, great track. It's it it's definitely earned its place in rock and roll, and like so many of the great live albums that came out during the seventies, that you know, Cheap Trick followed that uh, same kind of career path as Kiss. You had three albums that didn't do so great, and then this album or this this song actually exploded on the live at Budokan, and it's amazing how many songs that you know. I really can't think of any other decade where the live versions of songs became hits over the studio versions like it did in the 70s. I mean, you had Frampton Come Alive, the Ario Speedwagon album, uh, Ted Nugent stuff. Kiss Alive, yeah. Kiss Alive and Budokan. It was, there was something in the water, for sure. It was like a fad. It was like a live album fad that happened. Well, I also think that you had everything was being pop music had been like strangled and manipulated to be this product so much that it was unavoidable. And then you had disco, which was, you know, boom, 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 this certain beat. And it could be any lyrics, any music. It just had to have that beat. Uh, The live tracks, I think, stood out against that. And, uh, you know, people wanting wanting something a little more real, something with a more of a real heartbeat. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes... Like, like disco was kind of synthetic, so the live music was more like a return to the basics, back to basics or something. Right. So our next track, On Top of the World...
Schaus, what are your thoughts on cheap tricks on top of the world? Uh, the first time, well, speaking of the live versions, the first time I heard most of these tunes on this record was from Budokan 2, which was the record that they put out on the CD they had put out. I don't know if it was, if it was official or not. I'm not sure. Uh, but it had the other tunes from that show. And they were playing a hell of a lot of these songs. Um, so, yeah, on top of the world, I heard the live version first. And, um, yeah, this is a great one, too. It's uh, I'm trying to think of anything that stands out. The intro riff, kind of the, I love, it's kind of the Peter Gunn. That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, great riff. And, yeah, I love this tune. Brian, your thoughts? Uh, this is one of my favorite Cheap Trick songs such a great arrangement it's such a it's a really well written you know skillfully arranged song a great production you know so and also of course it's a great live song i mean robin just kills it on this song you know yeah there's lots of room for him to go off i I like overall i like the record how it's produced i mean it sounds it's a great sounding rock record but it isn't dirty at all it's like i don't want to call it clean but it's just really crisp and clear and mm-hmm. um, it's kind of like, I don't know, it's a little bit, I think it, the sound is a little bit more, uh, not heavy, uh, but a little more perfected than in color. I just like the sound of this. And this record's a great, it's, it's a great song to, to have that kind of production on. Absolutely. To me, this is the same kind of uh, sound that you kind of get on Abbey Road to me. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, Yeah. That's why it was so exciting to hear that George Martin might be working with Cheap Trick back then. <laughs> but you, yeah. can, you can see why that w- would have been a great combination or should have been better than it was even. But uh, th- one of the things I love about this, that uh, this song in particular, I mean, you could have heard this on Dream Police too. Wouldn't you agree, Brian? I mean, this, this song could have fit on there easily. Sure, yeah. But that just you know says something about what they were able to consistently do. But I love the sense of drama in this, along with this uh, lilting vocals towards the end. It's just amazing, but uh, great stuff. Okay, let's move on to track three, the first, the cover on the album. And of course, Cheap Trick loves covering Roy Wood. So uh, it's California Man. Shoush, your thoughts on California Man? Yeah, I heard this one first before I heard the Moves version. Um, and then once you kind of dig into Cheap Trick and then you go back into the Move, it makes perfect sense uh, that they would like them. What a great rock song. And they even threw Brontosaurus in the middle of there in the little breakdown. Yeah, and this is one of the ones that we do at the residency and I sing it. It's just a great rock and roller. Mm-hmm. 
And you, that riff that you're talking about is also found on uh, In the Streets, the 70s show theme that they did, that, you know, that, that riff that they always use. It's in a lot of stuff. Well, it's the... And, uh, yeah, it well, it's the one the do 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 that's Brontosaurus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another move tune, and they see you don't. I, so of course, the first time I didn't know what that was. I'm like, that's a monster riff. Oh my <laughs> god, that's heavy. Uh, but then yeah, it's, it's pretty cool twist on it, and you know, it's just made it. It's a great rock and roll song, and they're a great rock and roll band. And again, you had Robin singing it, and you can't go wrong. And the song's really propelled by that 12-string electric bass. Yes. Brian, your thoughts? Yeah, this is uh, one of the things that kind of made Cheap Trick different or was really different about Rick Nielsen's songwriting is all of the different influences he had. And a lot of them were these British, these early 70s, late 60s, early 70s, heavy British rock acts that you didn't have a lot of in the early 70s, you didn't have as much of that in America. But then a lot of this stuff Americans didn't really know about. So then when Cheap Trick were doing their cover sets early on, they were playing all these songs that nobody in the audience knew, you know, like like The Move and Family and Paddle and all these different bands that Rick was really into that really didn't have much of a profile at all in America. You know, The Move were really huge in the UK, but n not, I guess, certain you know, rock fans knew about them, but so, you know, this, the, the move goes all the way back to the, the very beginnings of the band, you know, and, 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 uh, so yeah, this was a great song for them to put on their record and it's, uh, you know, they turn it into a cheap trick song really well. And of course, Brian, if folks will go back to cheap talk episode 10, which is cheap trick on the move. And you do a fantastic breakdown of the history of Cheap Trick and the move, and a lot of cool live tracks on that one as well. Even actually uh, on the move, Jeff Lynn tip uh, at the end, the top of the world, they kind of go into almost an ELO part. Like, Can you hear me? Can you see me? Right. That part's always kind of sounded very um, Jeff Lynn to me. So that's not even covering the move, that's direct influence right there. I wonder how. Cheap Trick would sound with Jeff Lynn producing them. What are your thoughts? Probably like uh, like Freeze a Bird. <laughs> Probably it sounds <laughs> yeah. like like the Wolverines sound like Jeff Lynn. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, that'd be cool. Have him ar arranging strings and all those things. It'd be nice. Could be fun. Yeah. So our next track is High Roller, written by Nielsen, Tom Peterson, and Robin Zander.
So, Phil Schaus, your thoughts on High Roller? All right, another one copyrighted from '76. So they had this. This is a uh, older tune by this point. Uh, the thing that hit me first about this song was the fucking chorus. Like you have this really swampy, like kind of you know slower, groovy A minor riff, and then the chorus opens wide with these incredible harmonies. It's almost like two different tunes. Yeah, but they they match so well. That that, that chorus is just fantastic and you know you mentioned the juxtaposition again of there's that word there's that word. <laughs> of the uh, dark minor chord kind of a thing yeah you almost expect robin to pull out a switchblade i mean it sounds like that you know what i mean it's and then, really it's so mean yeah it is so tough starting off and it just has this gorgeous chorus to it it's fantastic and it kind of relates more to the attitude that's on the first Cheap Trick album, right? In a way. Yeah. And so it goes from that, and then he you know, hands you this heavenly dessert, you know, this big pie whip topping all over it when you get to the course. And I love, yeah, and then the, the line, uh, what I buy is mine, and I always get the things that I choose. I always love that. It was just such a good way of putting, like, I get whatever the fuck I want, I want, and then, but it's like, no, I get. It was said he sang it so well and so confident and so, like, so much swagger. Like, I, this is my favorite uh, trick songs for sure. This one always just stuck out. Mm-hmm. Brian, your thoughts on High Roller? Yeah, it's a great song, and I think, I mean, I think the story is that Robin brought this to the band. Like he even like when he joined the band, he already had some, you know, version of this, which you know Rick and Tom I think are credited as songwriters too. So they, you know, they they probably worked it up because Robin was never really in a rock and roll band per se. You know, he was more of an acoustic like folky guy. So I don't know, you know, they probably worked it up into more of what turning it into more of a cheap trick song. But yeah, it's such a it's such a classic Cheap Trick song. It's what's great about Cheap Trick, you know, Robin playing a character, and then it's just this. It's just got all these different elements and influences, and you can't really pigeonhole it into what exactly it is. But it's really heavy and dark, and yeah, it's and you know, there's so you can get a really poppy song and then this like sinister kind of dark song but then like phil saying then you've got great hooks and melody and everything too so yeah it's just it's like everything that you love about cheap trick is in a song like this i can almost see them doing this up night gallery style you know like they did those first four videos that they did that's right Mm -hmm. yeah it would be so damn cool so we close out side one with Off Wiedersehen, written by Nielsen and Tom Peterson.
What a great song. This is one of my favorite tracks, and uh, I always take a perverse uh, joy in the fact that if Cheap Trick is playing at a rib fest somewhere in Ohio, that the end of the night, they're going to be, you know, Robin's probably going to be on his knees screaming, suicide, 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 and some father is sitting there with his children and wife, and it's just it's such a uniquely subversive thing <laughs> to to have this there at that scene and it's just one of my favorite thoughts phil shaws your thoughts on the fantastic off wita zane yeah uh, this is from 75 copyright so this is uh, yeah. even older than the other two yeah it's it's this one has the tension because the whole thing is kind of built around this e this dun, 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 thing that the e drone note has been playing and he's on these octave chains that octaves kind of these things that are going around it so it's the, the whole thing builds tension and yeah it's what a what a twisted what a twisted tune which is a perfect for a twisted band like this it's great and when we talk about the darkness that is sometimes found in cheap trick i mean this is like punk before punk in many ways right yeah and just blatantly, like, it's a song about suicide, blatantly. And it isn't like, there's no bones about it. So it's even like, it's, yeah, it was pretty, I I, I mean, I guess, I guess the song, it was an album cut. They did play it live. Um, but yeah, there wasn't like a big stink about this tune, you know, which is kind of thinking about it. They just got away with it. Well, it's weird. We didn't really pay attention to stuff like that. Exactly. Totally. You know, when I was like uh, 10, I remember my uncle showing me Alice Cooper records and you open one up in the centerfold is one of him being hung by the neck. And I remember uh, we were at the swimming pool uh, with the Boy Scouts and someone was showing us a copy of Cream Magazine and this guy was telling us how Alice Cooper, oh no, the, the guy plays with the snake and they chop his head off every night. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, what? And and and, <laughs> and I'm just like, huh? No. And I'm like, let me see that. And then I was looking at this cream magazine. There he is with the snake, and there he is getting his head chopped off, and there he is getting electrocuted. And the scoutmaster came by and grabbed it out of my hand and says, "You shouldn't be reading this sort of trash," and threw it in the garbage. And I went home and I said to my uncle, "Who's Alice Cooper?" And he just opened up the first two albums <laughs> and i was hooked you know from then on and he gave them to me it was fantastic so yeah but it's weird because back then you know we we hadn't yet like for example had the school shootings and if you wear a trench coat to high school now you get put on a list right right yeah you could get away with a lot more as a rock star back then yeah. than you can now even and it was just yeah it was a song yeah, nobody, nobody's doing anything. It's a, they're writing a song. Well, well, it's also similar to how you rarely have R-rated movies anymore, right? Yeah. If like if like if I show my stepkids a movie from the seventies, it's like Titties Galore, which is not a stripper's name, but it could be, and they they're just like blown away, like what you guys got boobs back then? It's like yep, and in yeah. the, you know nowadays you don't, and it's. It's weird. It's weird, the different standards. <laughs> Brian, your thoughts on Off Weeders Zane? Oh, this is one of the ultimate Cheap Trick songs. And this is what I love so much about Cheap Trick. This is the kind of Cheap Trick song where people who 
only know Cheap Trick for I want you to want me and surrender. This is the side of Cheap Trick they don't understand. And that a lot of people probably don't get or appreciate. And like we always say with Cheap Trick, you either get it or you don't. And there's just a lot of aspects of Cheap Trick that for certain people, and those are the people that are kind of obsessive fans. And this is the kind of song that makes you an obsessive fan because it's so crazy. And, you know, it's just Rick Nielsen being a maniac. And no one else would write this song. And and I just love it. It's just one of their best songs. And you shouldn't... I shouldn't find this song so amusing and humorous because of the subject matter, but, you know, that's why it's funny. Because that's why of, it's funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, so it's it's just great. With the Bob Dylan quote in there, right? The there are many here among us that who feel their lives are a joke. Isn't that Bob Dylan? Is that is that Bob Dylan? For you, we sing this final song. For you, there is no There's hope. There's no hope. <laughs> no, yeah. <it's> no hope. <laughs> yeah, it's it's from all along the watchtower. There are many here among us who feel that life is but a joke. Oh. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Oh, you know, now I can hear Jimi Hendrix singing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly, right. Never put that together. So out there, little Robert Lawson up in Canada is writing his sequel to the book, and <laughs> he's taking notes. So love you, Robert. Oh, man, as soon as as soon as Ken was reading that, I was hearing Jimi Hendrix in my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I forgot what Never tune it was. Together. I knew it was Dylan. Yeah. Uh, Not only are we good looking, but damn it, we're, we're, we're an educational podcast. Yes, infotainment that's right <laughs> now you know <laughs> so it's time to flip the album over or if you're tanning flip now so there you go we're all purpose here track six or on side two track one taking me back Your thoughts on this one? This is so cool. It builds 
uh, it builds so great from the very beginning. I always thought the beginning riff sounded like it could have been on the first two Kiss albums. Mm. Uh, just the way it's really, it's it's a real sparse riff, kind of like a, uh, you know, that in the, in the production kind of reminds me of it too. Dry, you know, pretty clean guitar. Um, and this was also cool. I love how they used keyboards because they, it, they, it's not dated. You're not listening to this at the end when the keyboards come in. Finally, you're not like, oh, that's totally, that's way, way out of date. But it, they didn't do that. It sounds great. Even with Surrender, they had a great keyboard in Surrender. Mm-hmm. Kind of the way the Who and the Beatles did. You know, you don't even, there's a Moog synthesizer, but you don't realize it's a Moog synthesizer. It doesn't totally stand out. But yeah, I've always loved this tune. Me too. Good mid-tempo, good, cool, super catchy. Yeah. Brian Cramp, your thoughts? I like this song, but like I was thinking, if I was going to rank all the songs on the first like three Cheap Trick albums, these first two songs on the second side here would probably be at the bottom of my rankings. That's why, you know, when you asked me what I thought of the album, I said it was definitely in their top ten, which was a which was a joke, but I'm not sure really where I would rank this against all their other albums. I love this record, but I think it kind of takes a dip in quality on the second side here for me. But I do like this song, but I wouldn't say it's one of their best, you know. Well, they do go kind of poppier and more novelty act, if you will, on uh, the next song, but we'll get there in a bit. But to me, it's, it's almost setting up what's coming. I mean, if you didn't have these moments of light, it would start to become a pretty dark album. It would almost be the first album again. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I don't have a problem with it being poppy. Yeah, me me neither. But I think that it is kind of like the setup for the punchline of an upcoming track. And we'll get to that soon. So there we go. I think it's it's like a setup track, if you will. Mm -hmm. Track seven on the radio. your thoughts on on the radio yeah this was like uh the way you put it more of like a novelty but more of a novelty fun song um kind of like the you know the ramones did one you know rock and roll radio these kind of like really throwback tunes um real kind of classic rock tunes not one of my top tunes by them um but you know if i'm listening to the album i don't skip through it so Mm -hmm. i look at this as a service song and by that, uh, it was it was to try to get radio disc jockeys to go, oh, he's talking about us right here on CKLW, home of the yeah, big right. hits. <laughs> yep. And I really think it was uh, kind of like when Kiss did the song Kissin' Time. Mm-hmm. It's almost the same kind of a vibe for me because mm-hmm. it, it has a point behind it. It was tr- to try to get DJs to, to play it. And uh, they were trying to do anything to get attention. That was the game back then, right? 
And uh, you even have the disc jockey kind of thing going on in it. Uh, What do you think of that concept, Brian? Yeah, I mean, if that was the motivation, it's definitely probably like one of the you know most recently written songs if not the most recently written song on the record like it which makes it seem like filler almost and uh it doesn't have a lot of what you would call cheap trick personality or you know cheap trick essence to it it has good parts but you know this would be in my opinion the worst song of cheap trick in the 70s probably (laughs) you know like, for example, out of the original trilogy, and I'm not talking about Star Wars here, the first three albums, this is, to me, I feel probably the worst song out of the whole mixture there. Yeah. Sadly, if the point of this was to get played on big hit radio, it didn't really happen. Right. It's a moment of light. And the weird thing is, like, I could hear the Bay City Rollers doing this. I could hear anybody trying to get an AM top 40 hit doing this song, mm-hmm. but it's a cheap trick. Yeah. It seemed like an odd cheap trick song. Yeah. Right. But that's one of the things I love about cheap trick is the inherent discrepancies, the, uh, the weirdness, the quirkiness. So it's, it's right. It, it's part of the stew, right? So mm-hmm. it's one of the things I love about cheap trick. Even if it's not my favorite track, I'm glad to have it nonetheless. Right. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, as far as songwriting, this is Rick being he's a whore. So, not that it sounds like that, but he's trying to get radio play. Uh, (laughs) So, our next track is Heaven Tonight. song which to me heaven tonight has always sounded like it's longer than it actually is you know what i mean like this feels like an eight minute song or something like that Mm -hmm. uh written by nielsen and tom peterson and uh 
just a fantastic performance from Robin Zander. Just amazing work by everybody involved. And I asked Bunny what it was about. Well, it's obviously about drugs. You know that, right? You know, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but I'm always looking for something, you know, some meaning that may be not there. But that's kind of what he chalked it up to. What are your thoughts on Heaven Tonight, Phil? Yeah, uh, interesting point about it feeling longer because it does have that. It's, it's an epic tune and it has that feel from the very beginning and everything about it. It does like it's like a stairway to heaven eight, nine minute tune, but it isn't. But <laughs> but they cram that epicness into like, you know, three, four minutes. Yeah, it's I know a lot of folks who don't like this song, uh, trick fans that don't. I adore it. I, I think it's great. I like everything about it. I like the feel. I like the dark. They could write twisted dark tunes, you know, like Alphita's name, but they could write darker tunes like this too, with a totally different feel. Um, slower, really serious. Um, yeah, I, I'm. This is one of my kind of. I mean, I again one of my favorites on the record, but I love this album pretty much from start to finish. But yeah, this is a great tune. The man the cello comes back to on this song, so. Yeah, it sounds great. I can't understand anyone that, that can't get into it, and Brian will probably, you know, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are, but to me, there's so much going for this track, from the lushness of it to Robin's excellent uh, performance, Tom's great bass work, Bun's work, Rick's writing. There's there's so much going on here, and you've got the one voice saying, "Would you would you like to come along? Would you like to get even higher? You know, you you, you could never get this high." And then you've got like the Rick thing doing that dark, sardonic thing. You can never come down. You can never come down. You know, mm-hmm. like it's going to get to a point where you can't turn it off. Brian, your thoughts on Heaven Tonight, the track? Yeah, it's a really cool song. It's very unique and interesting and i think tom werman put a lot into this song probably i bet they spent more time on this song than any other song on the album probably you know putting it together in the studio i could be wrong but there's so there's so few lyrics yeah there's not a lot of words and it's just like but there's it's a lot of tune for not much lyrics yeah well the music is so evocative the music is so interesting i mean it, yeah, the, it's it's less about melody than about the the uh, orchestration of it or whatever. Yeah, and the feel That's and the really vibe of everything. Driving it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a, it's a it's a musically driven tune for sure. And the title being "Heaven Tonight," you don't think it's going to be a, a depressing drug song? <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> and, and and why are they in a bathroom? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> But there's the story of that the album was going to be called American Standard, but um, from what I've been told, that was the record company's idea that the band rejected. But then I'm wondering why did they do the photo shoot in the bathroom? I still, it's I still can't be figure that Standard. part out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, and then you know, I wonder if this is the same bathroom that uh, Foreigner's Head Games cover was shot. And uh, um, <laughs> what was it? Was it uh, Force It? UFO Force It was a bathroom too. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe they. I mean, maybe they just had that idea of having Rick and Bunny in the background, you know, checking themselves out in the mirror. Maybe that was just the whole concept, you know. Yeah. 
says it is funny. Yeah. So. And if anyone should be primping their hair, it's probably the two guys on the front. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. They came there, I've pre primped. <laughs> yeah, I mean that was the joke, right? Is the yeah. the pretty boys weren't the ones looking in the mirror. Right. So maybe that <laughs> yeah. was just the whole concept. <laughs> yeah, we're good. And it didn't matter what the album was called. It was like, well, this is going to be the cover. Yeah. <laughs> and this is going to be the cover. Doesn't matter. Doesn't Rick have a cassette or something in his pocket? Uh, he's got, it's a, it's a, in color. I think it may be a cassette or just like a, a really small, um, I, I, I can't tell. It's a really small thing. It's the in color album. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's weird because Rick's always the one putting secret messages on the album cover. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Whether it's when you see the first album cover, there's that picture that he's holding up of him playing an accordion. And uh, it's just bizarre to his, uh, the finger numbering on Next Position Please, right, BJ? Yeah, and and there's one where he's holding up, isn't he holding a record where he's got John Brandt's face over Tom's face on the, which album is that on? (laughs) Standing on the Edge. Yeah, <laughs> so it's very bizarre. Yeah, Phil, did you know about the uh, album cover for Next Position, please? Uh, about the number fing- number finger numbers? Yeah. No, can you explain that, Brian? Uh, well, supposedly the original or the working title of the album was Eight and a Half because it was their Eight and a Half album. If you count found all the parts. And okay. if if you look at the back cover, Rick is holding up eight and a half fingers because he's got his he's got his one finger bent in half. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> okay, weird. <laughs> this is gonna send the Paula's Dead community like into a, a frenzy. Well, yeah, they, we we actually figured that out live on the podcast <laughs> when we were oh, really? talking about it. So. <laughs> That you know, we always bring it up. <laughs> That's wild. I had no idea about that, man. Yeah. So, is there something? Does he do that on every album? Or well, it seems like he always does do something weird. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> something. But it was cited in the book uh, "Still Competition" about Cheap Trick, a great book you should own. Check it out. See. Still compilation. <laughs> No, that's no. Ralph. No, yeah, that's right. That's what Ralph. Yeah, but but still competition. A book about cheap trick. Check it out. Written by Robert Lawson. So cool. Okay, Heaven Tonight. Uh, that track kind of reminds me of something that could have been on Abbey Road. The way it was produced, it really has that feeling. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, it reminds me of like almost what was done in I Want You. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So the next track is Stiff Competition.
Stiff Competition, which, God, I love this song so much. This is such a great song. The fourth song, Stiff Competition. And I also have a very uh, sick reason to love it. There was a porno movie that came out in the very early 80s called Stiff Competition. And it was about an oral sex competition. And it was, uh, it was, it took place in a boxing ring. So, so it was like a really serious competition. Yes, it really was. And they, I mean, they had gold belts and everything and they would practice and all this was filmed and captured for people. But I remember uh, thinking when I was younger, I saw it in a magazine. I'm like, I got to get this because I wonder if they use that. They had sparring partners. What was that? They had sparring partners. They do actually. <laughs> So it's it's out there on the interwebs, folks, but uh, that's a true story. But I always thought, you know, I wonder if they would use that song in this movie. But nope, didn't happen. More like a Rocky-type theme, believe it or not. Did they wear a mouth card? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the best question ever about the Yeah, okay. <laughs> For the win, Brian, you did it. Well, I was picturing, you know, boxing. It's always the mouth guard in and out, you know, in the corner <laughs> between rounds. You know? There was a lot of in and out, but not so much mouth guarding. Yeah. Between rounds, they're washing their mouths up. In the <laughs> a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of rinsing and spitting going on in this one, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have brought that up, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, this one would get an X on, on iTunes, right? Yeah. yeah. So, Phil, do you have any thoughts other than about that movie at this point, about the song <laughs> Stiff Competition? Well, this is probably, for, in my opinion, the hardest rocker of the album. So, uh, on you know, first listen, when I discovered this song, it was immediately a favorite. Because the riff is just so fantastic. Um, it never stops. It is pretty much this one, like, this is one of the rocking ones that just doesn't stop. It doesn't have another weird chorus part that, ooh, it's a different feeling. No, this fucking rocks the whole time. Um, and yeah, that's one of my, another one of my ones that I love. We, we cover it sometimes, and it's just a great tune. Yeah, to me, this is in the same, you know, I, I get the same kind of vibe that I get from He's a Whore. Like they're very similar in punch and action and drive. Right. Yes. Yeah, totally. Brian, your thoughts on stiff competition. Yeah, of course. This is a great song. This song just goes together with high roller to me. They're like, they just go together for some reason. They're like the brothers on this album or something. Mm -hmm. And they're both the fourth track on each side. Right. Right. They just kind of go together. Both rockers in the key of A. So, yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, back, I saw Cheap Trick a ton, like, in the late 90s, and they all, both those songs seemed like they were always in the set, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, you know, you screw, I screw you, you screw me, <laughs> here we go again. <laughs> here we go again, yeah. It's so great, yeah, it's, it's every, yeah, it's just awesome. Yeah, and that breakdown that uh, happens where it changes pitch, or not, not pitch, but hard in your eyes yeah yeah that, yeah mm-hmm. i love that yeah it changes the intensity and then he revs it right back up again 
Yeah, it doesn't last very long at all, and he just rips it back into the tune. Yeah, I love the song. Nobody else would write this kind of song that way with that part, and, you know, it's just... It's just Rick Nielsen, classic Rick Nielsen, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know how we talked about Heaven Tonight, which weighs in at uh, 5 minutes and 25 seconds, seeming like it's almost an 8-minute song. This song, Stiff Competition, which comes in at 3 minutes and 40 seconds, uh, it actually seems like it goes by super fast. I was surprised you said that long. It feels like it's two and a half minutes. Doesn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Yeah, it flies by. Very good. So, uh, off this classic album, Heaven Tonight, it's track five on side two. Track ten, How Are You? Phil, hello. How are you? Uh, I had to sleep last night. Um, uh, yeah, this was, uh, I kind of, this one t- to me kind of goes along with the original version of Want You to Want Me. Kind of the same yeah. kind of feel, the same kind of piano feel, bouncy uh, thing. Now, this is an example of them, uh, whereas on the radio was kind of a real throwback with not much cheap trickness. This is kind of the same thing with, I think, more cheap trick in this song. Mm-hmm. But to me, they're, these two are really related. Um, but this one has more of the of their personality in it, I believe. Definitely. And, of course, you've got that uh, gerbil or chipmunk going on there, right, Brian? <laughs> Do you mean the Ten Commandments? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Explain. Rick reads the Ten Commandments and it's sped up, right, at some point? Yep. Isn't it between you lie, you lie? <laughs> And it's got the Ten Commandments, with, which is saying, Thou shall not lie. Rick's... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Again, that juxtaposition, right? Weirdness, quirkiness, darkness, light. Uh-huh. 
It's all Rick Nielsen. Yeah. This song was written by Nielsen and Tom Peterson again. Brian, what are your thoughts? Well, I used to like this song, but this is one of those songs that there's certain songs where I'll, I will just get burnt out on it where, you know, you're just like, yeah, I used to like that, but I don't really want to hear it anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, this one doesn't really, hasn't held up for me. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's cursed with being I Want You to Want Me Part 2, definitely. Right. Mm. I'm, I'm surprised I didn't try to... Uh... I want you to want me this one up, if you will, after after that became such a hit. But it's it's got that one really dark psycho part where yeah. Robin goes from this happy like, hey, it's so good to see you. Isn't it a great day? And hello, yeah. how are <laughs> you? I dreamed of you all night. And you just, you know that, like, he's wearing one of those uh, Letterman jackets. There's a knife right in that pocket. (laughs) And and that part, I always see the the guy with the big mustache uh, tying a girl to the train tracks. (laughs) Like, it's like all these diminished chords going up the thing. And that's like that kind of music when it's all sped up and the train's coming and all that. Or it's a, the Batman TV show, and all of a sudden the camera tilts whenever the villains would come on the screen, right? So yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, everything's labeled. But th- this song is kind of emblematic of the rewriting of history that's kind of gone on because you know they they co- they've complained so much about how they didn't like the production of In Color, they didn't like what was done with I Want You to Want Me. Well, here they are on the next album working with the same producer. And doing the same kind of song again. Doing the same thing. So, yeah. Yeah. So if they were so <laughs> upset about In Color and I Want You to Want Me, then why did they do the exact same thing on the next album? That would That's be a damn, the good, question. damn good question. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, it, could, it could be something personal, like somebody ate somebody's yogurt or, you know, it could be any sort of a vibe. It, it could be something as simple as that. Because often we don't remember things for exactly what happened, but the feeling, how we felt at the time. So maybe they just bumped heads creatively with Tom and they just didn't want to do that again, right? I don't know. Well, they did it again on Dream Police. (laughs) Yeah, they did it on Dream Police. They did it three times in a row and created three amazing classic albums that we still love and are talking about to this day. So No, I don't think they bumped heads with Tom Werman at all. And I mean, you know, Ken, we've we've talked. He's the nicest guy you've ever talked to, practically. And uh, and he's completely baffled, you know, by the way they've treated him, you know, in in their history, you know, I guess in the last couple of decades, he just is completely baffled by it himself. So, you know, yeah, but we love the work that they did together. So, oh, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. To me. No matter what anyone says, uh, these albums have stood the test of time and will continue to stand the test of time. 
So this goes to our last track, track 11 on the CD, or the hidden track not listed on the LP label or album cover, Eau Claire, written by Nielsen, Peterson, Xander, and Bunny Carlos, at 1 minute and 10 seconds. Phil, your thoughts on Eau Claire? Yeah, I love these little uh, tunes like Hello There and Good Night Now and like this. Is this written for Eau Claire, Wisconsin? I think I read that in the box set, I think. I mean, it's not a, of course, it isn't about Eau Claire, Wisconsin, but um, the title? Well, it's, it's definitely a joke on Eau Claire, but, you know, they've got Eau Candy, Eau Caroline, so now they've yeah. got Eau Claire, Eau Claire. on this yeah. one. It's they just played there. I'm sure being being in the area in the region, they played there. A oh lot. yeah, they yeah and, um, yeah. It's definitely referring to the Wisconsin, the the town of Wisconsin. For yeah, sure. I just like I just I love these and uh, those those are all really similar. Like hello there, and this one have the same da 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 all the D A E thing, the same like pattern. Um, yeah, well, well, yeah, I could a funny, tell you a funny little song. I could tell you uh, uh, there's uh, there's a guy Brad Elvis. Who uh, yeah, was yeah, in the yeah, band? Sure. Yeah, you know who Brad is. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, he was a he, he, cheap trick are like his favorite band, and he was around at the very beginning. He's been a cheap trick fanatic since like seventy four, seventy five, and he told me that before they they had hello there, this was their like sound check music that they would play at the beginning of oh, of the okay. show. And then he, he Rick kind of turned this into hello there is kind of how Brad tells it. You know, that was their that was their sound check song because it, it yeah. comes in it comes in instrument yeah. by instrument yeah yeah Rick wanted to have something you know at the beginning they used to do they used to do uh, downs when it was called down down they used to do that and they had like an opening where it was it kind it sounds like do ya it sounds like the riffs from the the move ELO song do ya and oh, I think wow. as I think the way Brad tells it, that's how they used to start their show is with that. And then Rick came up with this, which, you know, he used as Eau Claire. And then he kind of turned it into Hello There. And that's where he finally landed to where he had something that he could open the show with. That was kind of a a sound check, you know, set the levels kind of thing. Yeah, because you know? when you're first on the bill of like three or four, you don't get that. So that was a yeah. good idea. This is very, very efficient. But yeah, I like this whole, I like this tune. That's fun. And later, Rick would come back upon this name, right? Yeah, well, we talked in the Rockford episode. That song goes way back. Um, he mentioned it in... Uh, I found him mention it in 78, right? So, yeah, he, they, he might have had that song. Well, let's see. Heaven Tonight was recorded in January of 78, so he probably didn't have it yet when they made this record. So yeah, so he he used that name again when he wrote that song that then ended up on Rockford. That's yeah, I hadn't thought about that cuz yeah, this was recorded in January of 78. I found an interview from 78 where he mentioned this song Eau Claire, but he probably didn't have it. It's not this one. The song yeah, that ended up on Rockford. 
Yeah, um, other than like, other than the lyrics, the lyrics on the inside of the sleeve, there's no mention of this song on the outside of the album or the actual album label. Yeah, right. Yep. So, do you feel that maybe they thought that the album was too short? What are, what's your thought? Because to me, it seems not that kind of a situation. Like, for example, Kiss's "Dressed to Kill." They actually went in and added extra space in between the songs just to make the album seem longer. <laughs> oh, I, I, I remember when I first had that cassette. It's like the space between the songs was so ridiculously long. <laughs> that was ridiculous. I still twenty eight minutes guess, or something. If I had to guess, I would think that Rick was like, "I had old candy. I had old Caroline. I want to have an mm-hmm. old <laughs> C female name on this record too." Yeah. So he just used this. You know that would. That would kind of make sense as the motivation behind it. So the next time they want to do a song that takes us back to our roots, we'll get an Oh Cheryl. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Phil, where does this album uh, stand in your, like, like what are, what are your top 10 cheap trick albums? Oh shit. Um, This is probably, I don't know. This the, in color is great, and I love this one. Uh, this might be my favorite. Probably is today. It is anyway. It's like the, the Beatles. Like I have a diff, I have a, diff, a favorite album every couple days, a different one. Right. But uh, yeah, it's. I mean, all these are great. I'm going through them right now. Like you can't lose a dream, please. Like exposition, please. Just yeah. I'd say this is my favorite, honestly, because the side. Side one is so strong and like top of the world, high roller and all those are absolute like favorites of mine. And I, I really enjoy listening to this one. Mm-hmm. So where does the doctor rate? <laughs> Ooh, <the> t- <laughs> doctor. Somewhere around where uh, carnival souls. No. Um, <laughs> hey now. No, that's just, and that's the thing about getting into them. Uh, is there, there's, when you get in a cheap trick, like when you first get into them, there's so many tunes to, uh, there's so many uh, albums to go to go through. You're gonna be you're gonna be busy for for a long time, and it, all, it's all good stuff. Well, I was just gonna ask Phil if he ever talked to Gene about Carnival of Souls, <laughs> since he just threw uh, some shade. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we would bring it up. We didn't bring it up, but I, I remember one one time in particular. We were playing a show somewhere, and some guy in the front yelled out "hate," and uh, and Gene had a thing where if he heard anybody talking to him, he would stop the show and talk to the person, no matter how long <laughs> it got, no matter how how boring it got, he would talk to him. And uh, of course, the guy yelled "hate," and he stopped and went, "Okay, now you are insane, sir." <laughs> yeah, he uh, he didn't speak too fondly about that record. Really. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, we we would we would. I mean, he was I was brutally honest about his own stuff. Um, I remember, and we were in Japan on the way to the venue, and we were with the band. He we rode together all the time, uh, every 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 gig, and so we're throwing these '80s tunes at him, you know. And he's just like, "No, no, no!" Where he went, his response to was, "No, no, no," and uh, we keep on at him, and he goes, "Listen." 85% of what I've written is complete crap. <laughs> I'll, I'll own up to it. 
it's garbage. <laughs> you know, we would name we would name over like, what's new? Uh, fits like a glove. And he went, everybody in the band hated that, including me, and I wrote it. So, yeah, he he didn't mince words even when it came to his own, especially when it came to his own material. He was always the first one to take the piss out of himself. Always. <laughs> cool. Having said that, I love the song Hate. Nah. That's one of the tunes we could have done. Honestly, you know what? I've never listened to that record. And I Ugh. don't plan on it anytime yeah, soon. Yeah, right. <laughs> I really never have. Ugh. Blasphemy. So what's the worst Cheap Trick album then? Oh, man. Probably one I haven't heard. I had, The last two were phenomenal. I got. I, I went and bought those. The newer ones are great. I'm trying to think. I'm gonna look up the. I'm, I gotta look up the albums. I can't really think. He's probably never heard special one. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. That one. And uh, you might be better off listening to our episode of Special One. <laughs> yeah, I need. I, <laughs> I'll need to uh, get some guidance from from you guys. Yeah, 19 hope- studio records and six live albums. But uh, no, we we love Cheap Trick here. We just uh, are honest in our critiques. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I got yeah, Bangs and Crazy. I know Bangs and Crazy. Hello, and we're all right. I, I got the both. Those are the two most recent ones that I have, and then I have Rockford. And yeah, I like those a lot. We sang backup on one of the songs, uh, one of the newer songs with them uh, when we did that big gig in St. Paul. Uh, that was with, for. Gene, uh, what was the, the cause? The, uh, 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 matters. Kids, yeah. Kids matter. Kids, something like that. Yeah. So the big thing is St. Paul we did. And so um, we're back. And we kind of, and we like, it's weird, but we kind of know the guys now just from the being around Nashville and them coming to the show. And um, so Robin comes over, comes in our locker room, dressing room, and says, so you guys are singing with us, right? I'm like, sure we are, Mr. Robinsander. What are we going to sing on? <laughs> and he goes, okay, sing on this. Like, I'll send it over. So he sent us the new song. And we learned it was it was a great tune. Long time coming. Ah, the second the second track on the songs uh, on the album. So yeah, that was our that was our day. That was our backup vocal debut with Cheap Trick. There's actually video of you guys singing that track. Yeah, all around one microphone. <laughs> yeah, and you guys look like you know it's Christmas morning for you guys. That was still one of the best days of my life. Just that whole, that was when we met Ace the first time and did play that. But that was just, just the Gene, playing with Gene, and then Cheap Trick being there was the icing on the cake. It was just anytime those guys, anytime I can see those guys, it's a great day. I've seen them countless times, and they're always fantastic. And that's what I love about them is you can still see them, and they always deliver. And you never know what kind of set they're going to play. Right. That's another great thing for big, big fans. You, you, you have no clue what you're going to hear. I saw them three months apart one year, and it was almost a completely different set. Mm. They had the hits in there, but all the other, other songs were different. So, yeah, it's always a fun time. At the Benefit concert for Children Matter, which is a thing that Gene was helping promote to, to help children, and uh, to get water and stuff to people. Uh, there was uh, Don Felder was there. Ace Fraley was there. Cheap Trick was there. It, I mean, this was really your record collection coming to life right there that day. Yeah, yeah, it was. That was one of the best days of, like, I'm, I'm speaking for the guys, too, but of all our lives, we just had a, yeah, we were we were kids in a candy store on Christmas morning. Exactly. That day. <laughs> And if Cheap Talk listeners would like to check that episode out of the podcast, it is podcast number 143. 
There is an interview in which uh, Don Felder, Rick Nielsen, and Gene Simmons were all interviewed. So check that out. Yep. Now, as we mentioned earlier, Robin and Dax came down to play with the Rock and Roll Residency, you, Jeremy, and Ryan, and everybody. How did that come about, and what was the vibe like? Uh, the first time, uh, it came about through my friend Greg Mangus. The great, the great Greg Mangus. And he'll tell you that. Yes. I mean, so will I. <laughs> so will I. I love Greg. Um, so, yeah, Greg is one of our um, mainstay singers of the Rock and Roll Residency. He has a great thing now um, with Sandy Gennaro and some other great guys called Rock United. Amazing singer and a wonderful guy. Well, he was working at a hotel bar at this time, and it's wherever Cheap Trick was in town, they stayed there. So he, he was the, like the head bartender there. And so Robin would come down, they'd talk. So he kind of knew Robin and knew Robin from his days in Florida. Greg was in Clearwater, Florida, mm-hmm. as Robin was too. So they kind of knew each other down there. And Greg was in a band called Lefty that opened, that did some dates in cheap, with Cheap Trick in the 80s, I think. So they go back for a while. Anyway, we, I think, are done one night. And this was at the Irish pub that we played at outside. So I think we're finished. And they just got done. And then Greg walks up and goes, Cheap Trick's here. I'm like, what? It's like, Robin's here. It's like, he finally came? It's like, yeah, Robin and Dax are here. Like, holy shit. So he comes out. And I'm like, oh, my God. I was like, do you want to do something? He goes, yeah. And I go, we know all kinds of obscure Cheap Trick tunes. I don't want to do any of that shit. <laughs> what do you want to do? <laughs> and he goes, ACDC. I go, we know the whole catalog. What do you want to do? So we did Long Way to the Top with him. And then we ended up doing, uh, I think he's a whore. So we ended up talking into doing one. And then the next time he came out, um, his son came with him. So we did Dead Flowers. And then we did He's a Whore, Hot Love, and uh, Long Way to the Top. And he and Mangus both sang it together. Mm-hmm. So I, mm-hmm. might, I might be having the weeks and the songs mixed up. But I know that that, that is all the songs that we did with those guys in those two weeks. So yeah, that was a, that was a trip <laughs> hearing, hearing like the, what's crazy is when you're, when you're playing with those guys and, and a place like that's tiny. And then that voice comes out of your monitor wedge. <laughs> right. It, it's like, you're not, it's not headphones. It's not a big PA. It's your fucking monitor in front of you. And he's right there. And it's that voice. And it sounds just like Robin Zander. It's, he's that good, and it sounds that good coming out, screaming in your face. And um, that's the same kind of thing you get when Derek St. Holmes sings, too, or any of those guys come and, and start singing. It's like, wow, man, they're right there. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty surreal moment. But yeah, and he's, and he's, he's great. We see him now. He always says hello. And it's just a, they're all super nice guys. And a special shout out to our brother from another mother, Greg Mangus, who, along with you guys, uh, sometimes performs as a really cool ACDC tribute called Mangus, which yep. is kind of Angus Mangus. The, he does the Bond. Yeah. Yeah, does the Bond years. Uh, so that's a lot of fun, too. And it's cool to see uh, Jeremy Asbrock in a schoolboy outfit. So Always. Always. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a regular Thursday for him. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Phil, I want to thank you for coming on Cheap Talk. Uh, We've been trying to get this set up. Uh, We love you. Love you guys. 
and we love you and and Ryan Spencer Cook and Jeremy Asbrock and everything you guys bring to the table. We just appreciate you, and we look forward to hopefully seeing you at Rockin' Pod 4, back for more. If I'm uh, in the area, I will for sure be there. Right. Fantastic. Uh, Brian, anything you want to say in clothing or closing? (laughs) Uh, Good night, uh, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) You're so predictable and effervescent. (laughs) Suicide! (laughs) All right, we'll see you all on the next episode of Cheap Talk, your unofficial Cheap Trick podcast. Thank you for listening. We'll see you. Say see you, Phil. See you, Phil. All right. Well, we will see you, brother. All right. Thanks, you guys. Have a good day. All right. Be good. Bye. Bye. And that's our show. Trick Chat is an online nonprofit audio fanzine made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to Cheap Trick or any of their members past or present. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes to buy it. If you enjoyed this show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying keep cheap tricking. Thank you for not putting away your groceries this episode. Hey, was that, was that really noisy? I didn't even realize it was that noisy. Hold on, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Let me, let me see if I can punch this up. You'll get a kick out of it. Oh, no. <laughs> Right. Yeah, it was getting like that. Oh my god! I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm building cabinets in my woodshed. Oh Jesus! Right. Yeah, it was getting like that. I'm, it's like I'm type, I'm typing or building things. I'm sawing. Oh my! Oh my! God. Thought you would uh, dig hearing the ambient oh noise. Oh my god, that was ridiculous. <laughs> I'm glad you could salvage some of that. <laughs> god. Just get your snack and move along. Yes, it will make the bloopers. Merry Christmas, you fucking brat.